Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. It's the Hobby Hustle. It's Friday, baby. Let's go. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. You already know that already. I'm really fired up for this conversation. I'm just excited for card shows. Who isn't? People getting vaccinated. Card shows are happening left and right. I had to bring on my man, Anthony, at Summertime Cards to talk about the courtside card show, May 1st, May 2nd, in Miami, Florida. Welcome to Miami. Let's do this. I'm really excited. He's an account I've been following on Instagram. I enjoy his stuff. Had never really met him, so I had him on the show to talk about his collecting, his process. Re-entered the hobby about the same time, so shared some thoughts on that. And at the end of the show, we talk about how badass the courtside card show is going to be, and I wish I could be there scheduling conflict. Anyways, get out to that show. Enjoy the conversation. Let's freaking go. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Stacking Slabs Hobby Hustle. I'm excited for this one. I got my man, Anthony, at Summertime Cards on the pod today. He's someone that um, a lot of people I'm connected with in the hobby have chatted with and have referenced him. And I, we haven't really crossed paths, but I've been following his account um, for quite some time and um, definitely want to talk NBA, talk about cards, talk about Zion, Luca, all the hot topics but also definitely want to talk about the Miami show, the courtside card show that I know Anthony is a part of. Shows are back. People are getting vaccinated. So I think that's super exciting. Um, but without further ado, how are you doing today, Anthony? Hey, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be on the show. I'm a, a longtime listener now. So awesome. it's good to be uh, on here. Awesome, dude. I appreciate it. Maybe we can start here. I think like a, bi- a big part I want to get into your your background because I I find that super interesting. But maybe before we do that, I think what I led with was just like networking and we all know different people in the hobby. And I think connecting via Instagram, connecting at card shows um, and building relationships is so critical and valuable. And it's really how we find out about things and it's how information is shared. So Maybe talk to me because I know it's important to a lot of listeners, just like your approach to like networking and building relationships in the sports card market. Yeah, I, I do think that it's um really big, especially if you're kind of trying to really find a niche and turn it into like a, a side hustle or even like try to make a career in sports cards in some way, shape or form. Maybe you don't even know, but you kind of feel like, man, I would really love to like do something revolving around this. So. If you feel that way, yeah, I think it's it's big time important. Um, I remember when I first started getting really interested in it, um, I would listen to all of the interviews. Uh, I would watch like tons of YouTube videos. And if I thought a guy was like really smart or I just liked his style, I would reach out to the guy. Hey, and like saw your interview. I would mention something about the interview so he knows like I didn't just like see his name, just hit him up mentioned something specific from the interview and not even as a ploy. I just legitimately, I like interacting with people, you know, that, that I think are knowledgeable and we have 
similar views on things or whatever it may be. And uh, yeah, I would just reach out to these people and start talking to them, um, try to provide value in some situations if possible. A couple of times I even offered very early on to like pay some, a couple of people like consulting fees, like uh, dealers who like have done very well. And I did that with a few people that like was really, really invaluable just because there's so many like landmines and sports cards. And I, I had a sense of that early on. And I'm the kind of guy that like, once I go in, I go like full in. So I could land on all of them and it'll cost me a lot of money. So I ended up like doing that. And I would ask like, you know, a hundred questions that they know, like there's a concrete black and white answer. And uh, I picked their brain and like would spend hours coming up with the questions and then ask them and get the answer. And they're like, okay, like I'm not going to fall for that. not going to fall for that. And um, that helped me a lot uh, early on. Um, but yeah, just, I also like just posting pictures of stuff and of me sharing my insight. A lot of times that gets someone to say, Oh, he's kind of smart too. Let me reach out to him. Oh, what did like, why did you get this? Or, and then it kind of starts um, going the other way where I'm the one putting out some of the content, some of the information, then people are, are reaching out to me, people that I, I, I would, you know, want to, you know, have formed some, some sort of a relationship or like network networking, however, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I love that approach of just like listening to content and when something you like resonates, just like going direct and reaching out to the person and just saying, hey, I heard you on this podcast or this YouTube show. This is awesome. Like, I have a question about X or I love your page. Like, tell me more about why. Like, I think yeah. not enough people do that and just being proactive. Like, that's a great way to start and build relationships. Yeah. And I would see guys posting like logo mans and like stuff like that. And then people probably get like very hesitant. Like, I don't know, that guy's like a huge collector. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like this guy, <laughs> I, I love what this guy's doing. I'm a big fan of this guy's collection. And I would just reach out to them. And then, you know, specifically with those kind of people, you end up realizing very quickly the kind of stuff they, they like to collect. And then I would just try to source it. And the per like, there's this one guy and he's like, I don't understand why you do this. I'm like, it's not for anything. It's just like, I, like I re respect your collection. I'm not going to buy that card, but if it comes across my desk, I'm going to like help you get it. It doesn't cost me anything to help to like contact the guy who I know sometimes is like local and just like get it and send it to you. It's not much to it. And it helps build your amazing collection. And then, uh, yeah, it just kind of builds that, um, camaraderie, the networking. And then, you know, a guy like that gets offered stuff all the time and he doesn't buy everything. So then maybe I'm the guy that sometimes he might send the card uh, like my way because I've helped him get stuff. So yeah, I, I like don't cut the line to like, even the, the, the top collectors, I'll, I'll reach out. That's personally what I've done. Dude, it's just a good way to operate. And it's, it's making several moves with no intention to get anything back, but then right. down the road, something will happen. And I think, that's just kind of like brand building 101. And that's, I think the hobby. And I love, I just, I'm trying to like, when I'm through my message and through my interactions, I'm trying to get more people to understand that like this arena, like for me as a pro professional marketer is like a playground to have fun because everyone is so passionate about mm -hmm. cards. And the more you think about it from like the hobby's point of view and not your point of view and just reach out and help out like it's going to come around back to you one way or the other. So I love hearing that from you. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I, I, I want to jump into maybe um, 
you talked about being thorough. I, I have picked up in my kind of research about you and like you really do your homework. You come from a place of abundance. Um, and I think what might be interesting for some of the listeners who might not know, maybe share a little bit about like your background and kind of what you do on just sports, sports yeah. betting and how, how you got into that. And then we can chat about maybe how that leads into cards. The whole sports betting thing is a, is a very long story, but I'll try to break it down quickly. So yeah, just in high school, I was always, um, well, since I was a little kid, I was obsessed with sports. I would watch all day long and like teenage years, same thing, got into high school. Uh, I went to an all boy high school actually here in Miami and everybody like my sophomore year, it was like a thing that we all started wagering on sports at the same time. We would look in the back of the newspaper. That's where we used to have to check the spreads. Uh, and we'd see the spreads and then we would, um, place wagers with a, a guy in our high school and everybody over the course of a year, like lost. And then I was able to consistently win. And the guys like, and I didn't really think anything of it because it was only like a couple hundred bucks, but in high school, it's actually pretty nice. So the guy was like, Hey, listen, um, I don't want to take your wages anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, no, because everyone who's wagered has ended up losing their money. But like you've been winning. And like I've been thinking for like the last six, nine months, you would stop and you've kind of still kept winning. So I no longer want to take your wagers. He tells me about a sports betting forum called sbrforum.com. It's the or at least at the time, it was the largest sports bank forum. I'm pretty sure it still is. And I started posting my, my wagers that I was making on a daily basis, tracking my record. Something I would do that I was very popular for, I would do these extremely long essay, long write-ups, like six, seven, eight paragraphs, very, very long, very thorough, and about why I was making uh, any given wager. And uh, I built up a following like this. So in my first year posting my picks, I won at a rate of like 60.5%, which is considered like in that world, like very elite, like the best guys win 58 or 59%. So 60% is like uh, very good. And I um, got like 600 or 700,000 views on my thread, which was a lot for, for, for this, uh, for a sports forum. Then the next year, everyone a lot of people on the site said, oh, you got lucky. So I did it for another year. And the second year I did even better. I did 61.5% and I got almost 2 million views, 1.7 million views in seven months, which was like huge record at the time for this website and all the views. So at that point I was working night and day because I was really trying to prove myself after that first year, I did it really good. And it's just hard to win, to win at that rate and, and do it for a whole NBA season. It's not like I would go three, four days and take a day off. It was wagers every single day. These people were expecting it. And I enjoyed doing it, but it took a lot uh, of work. So I said, man, I can't keep doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming up with wagers, but I can't keep doing it without, you know, making uh, any money outside of my own wager since I'm publicly putting the picks out. So I had to decide, do I want to stop putting them out publicly or do I want to just, uh, or yeah, did I want to stop putting them out publicly or do I just, just want to start wagering on my own, just keeping it for myself? At the time, I still didn't have enough money saved to wager large enough. And I wanted to see what a website could do selling the picks anyhow, because I can just stop after a year or whatever. So I did it that for a year and I did very well um, financially. And then I did that again for another two, three years. And it got to the point though that I had saved enough money for the website where I no longer had to put the picks publicly. I was also giving away a lot of information about how I think and some of the edges that I felt I had in games and I didn't want to do that anymore. 
So I stopped. And then I just started wagering for myself because now I'd saved up a lot of money and I could wager large amounts on games and um, go take, you know, some, some losing streaks and be okay. And then I, uh, I did that. But all in all, it was like uh, 15 years in sports betting. When COVID hit, it slowed down a lot. And um, for the first time ever, I like for since I could remember, I'm like, I have like I have no job. Like I have nothing to do right now. <laughs> so that's when sports cards came into the equation because I had started making a little bit of money with sports cards during this time. Like 2019, I went to the National and I bought a Michael Jordan PSA 8 Lear and I bought um, a Mahomes Silver PSA 10. Goodbyes. Yeah, those are good buys. $300 <laughs> for the Mahomes Silver PSA 10 and wow. 2000 for the Jordan PSA 8. Jeez. And I did that. And then a couple of months later, I started buying um, Trey Young rookies for $5, Prism rookies. Those are good buys too. I graded all of them. I got, I, I, I got like 30 PSA 10s. I sent them all like separately and I got 30 PSA 10s out of 30 that I had. And I sold those. So when COVID hit, I remembered, man, I did pretty good buying those Trey Youngs for 5 and I did um, the, I, the value of that Mahomes and the Jordan were through the roof. And I'm like, there's like, this is like the one other thing I've done other than sports betting that was very, you know, um, all encompassing. Like I had to do that 24 seven. It was the one other thing that I was doing on the side that I enjoyed doing that was, that was producing me a little bit of income. So I said, well, let me uh, start doing this. So during COVID, I started buying a little bit, buying a little bit. Values kept going up even with COVID. Um, wrecking havoc and just well, at one point i'm like okay i'm all in like i'm ready to just like pour a lot of money into it and buy a lot of stuff um so far it's worked out pretty good i did um i did well with lebron during the playoffs i sold a lot of his stuff uh during their run um still the majority of my cards are at psa i have like two thousand cards at psa which is a large large amount of the money that I spent, um, which is still looking good on paper. If everything remains the same, even if some go up, some go down, I'm going to do very well. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, and then I, I, I built a collection for myself too, cards that I'm not going to sell. Um, it's not all just, I bought a bunch of stuff to flip. It wasn't a, a whole business move. There are cards that along the way I've bought that I just want to own, which we can talk about those and like the specific things that I'm collecting more so than like um, flipping. I even have cards like I plan on never selling. But yeah, that's kind of like the, the history of the sports betting that morphed into me now kind of doing sports cards and also now with the, the card show I started. I, I love meeting people who entered the card market back during COVID. That's when I came back into it. And it's just fun connecting. And obviously our reasons are different, but the fact mm-hmm. that we're on here talking about sports cards on a podcast and still here and haven't ran away um, shows just the strength and of the sports card market. And I think just the passion that a lot of people have. Um, so I heard you, I was listening back. I told you before we jo- jumped on you and RIP this series, even though these, they're doing bigger and better things. RIP Chris's conversations. You were the first guest on that show. I was listening back to it and you guys were talking about Luca, obviously if Chris is <laughs> hosting a show, he's probably talking about Luca, but the topic was about the 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 PSA Luca Prism base at the time, and it was selling for six hundred dollars. And that you guys were going back and forth on it, and you, I think, you know, being newer to the hobby, but having being thoughtful, basically, were like, you know, the population's really really high at six hundred dollars, but this card, you know, still has potential. I've got three copies. I'm telling you, I don't, I I don't really know, but I'm not planning to sell these cards. 
And now we look and that card is, you know, doubled since then in the population continues to go up. So I, I guess like back in that time frame when that card was $600 and we were talking about Luca and this is before the, you know, Luca shot against the Clippers and the, the snowball continuing to roll. Like what was your mindset back then on just maybe Luca in that card? Um, and then what is your mindset maybe now with Luca in that card? Yeah, I vividly remember that. And I was like, I'm not sure the population is very high. Um, I, I mentioned I, I, I own some and I was kind of, uh, I think I wasn't expecting the question, so I hadn't thought about it. So I was like, kind of like uh, in the middle. But if you look, he asked me another question. And as he's asking the other question, something hit me and I revert back and I go, there's one thing I want to say, because actions speak louder than words. I own the card and I'm not selling it. If I was convinced that I, or like really thought I would be more leaving that way. But the fact that I had no interest and I hadn't even crossed my mind to sell the card, I felt that my, intuitively I was thinking it was going to keep going up. Um, and I just wanted to continue owning it, which was probably, I felt at the, at the sign, a good time uh, for, for the card. Uh, I ended up, when the card got to, 1500 I did sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thought process at the time was that it might go to 2000. I don't think it's going to go above that, but I go a lot ha- kind of has to go right. He basically probably has to get into the MVP race. So I'm like, uh, and at the time I kind of also was starting to shy away a little bit from the, from the base stuff. Cause the population, I started to really understand what that size population meant. And when you look at other cards and like, you know, I'm just thinking there's probably thousands of other cards that have thousands of population and there's not, there's very few cards that even have a thousand of any PSA 10. So I ended up selling it thinking like, yeah, it's okay. If I miss the 500 bucks, I'm not going to be mad. And I'm going to put the 1500 into something else, which is always what I go back to. It's like, what do you put the money into? And I thought like very good chance, especially since my thing has been to buy raw, very good chance. I'm going to do better, you know, than just making 33% for 1500 up to 2000. If I, uh, if I buy something else and grade that, it probably, you know, so a lot of times three, four five times your money. And even with nines, you, you still sometimes can make 10, 20, 30%. So I felt like it was, uh, at least for me, I was a no brainer to just kind of get rid of it at, at 1500. And I don't, I don't own, um, those base with the, I'm having a similar situation now with Zion though. It's the same thing. He's at 600 the wild population, but I'm not trying to get rid of them at 600. So like probably the same thing will happen. It's going to have to get to like a thousand, 1200, and then I'll probably end up selling it. Cause even if it got to 1500, I'll probably only be able to do it, get that on eBay. And after the fees, this at the other, I'm probably going to get close to a thousand. So if people are willing to, to pay me a um, thousand for their card on uh, via my Instagram or whatever, I get to help. Get, it, get, get the card to somebody who follows me, who wants it. And I get to save on fees. That would probably be my, my move with the Zion base right now. Yeah, man. I, uh, so I got out of the Luca at 1200. Um, I think I bought it for 400 and I just like, I couldn't, the population scared me a little bit, although Luke is so great and has so much momentum. It just, I had to, I was evolving kind of how you were. And I was just like, I got to get out of this card right now. I saw, I had a Zion too early that I bought right. Or that I, it was actually a pack pulled. I sent to grading and got a 10 and ended up selling it. I wish I had it because I've been following your content a lot. And 
I know you're a Zion guy. And the more I hear you talk about Zion, the more I not necessarily want that base card back, but now I'm starting to think of like, maybe now is maybe, maybe it's not now, but maybe when the off season happens, Zion is a guy that I should jump into a little bit just because he's exciting player. He's one of the reasons, honestly, why I jump back into the hobby is because the excitement and momentum around him. So maybe, maybe I want to talk about like the raw card and PSA stuff, but maybe before we do that, talk to me about just like what you're seeing. I know you probably do more research than anyone, but what you're seeing with Zion, his cards and why you're so invested in him. So the main reason I started buying Zion, I was a fan of his in high school, but I also had doubts about undersized player coming into the league. Even with his elite athleticism, there's guys who are tall who can jump pretty high in the league too. When he first came back to the lineup, it was mid-year. He had messed up knee. He was out of shape. And this, this is when I'm not doing any, any, anything card-related at this time. I'm just doing sports betting. And they would offer how many points he's going to score in a game, right? And he's limited to, to like 16 minutes. So the, the lines makers come out and they put his player prop, meaning you can wager on how many points over or under he's going to score. So they set him at like 14 points. So if he scores 15 and I were to wager under, I would lose. And if he scores under 15, I would. So they offered him at 14 and, um, and he was only projected to play 16 minutes. So I'm like, this is the easiest under wager I'm ever going to make. This guy's hurt. He's barely going to shoot. He, they might take him out early. Any little thing, they take him out. And he has to score at a rate equivalent to James Harden in his first game ever after missing the whole season. So I'm like, there's no way in the world that this guy is going to score 16 points in 16 minutes because Harden scores, whatever, at the time, 36 points, and he played 36 minutes, so a point per minute. So he needed to do a point per minute because I'm also thinking he's not going to score 15 because he probably – it's just the way it works. is like even numbers land with the player prop. So he's going to have to score 16 in 16 minutes. and like. He killed me that night. He hit four threes in a row. I watched the whole game. I'm like mad that I lost a wager, but I'm like, I really liked it. Like I, I liked him as a player. I'm like, I really, wow. Like, okay. Next game comes though. I'm, I'm still not emotional the way I do this. So they put him again at a crazy number. It was like 16 points again in 60 minutes. So I'm like, okay. Like he got me last game. It's not, not going to do it again. Even the best players do not score a point. Like Harden doesn't, even him. He, like, that's his average. So this guy needs to, he beat me again. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. So for like two, three weeks, I'm like, I, I already had in my head, I'm not, I'm going to do this for a while. Cause I, cause like he may beat me two, three times and then lose 10 times in a row. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep doing this. He kept beating me and beating <laughs> me. he's the first guy ever that had a minutes restriction situation that I just said, I'm no longer going to mess with it anymore. Cause this guy's unbelievable. And he scored, it doesn't matter who he's playing against. It's almost like the better competition, he would do even better. Like Gobert, he crushed them. And he had crushed them in preseason for like 30 as well. And I'm like, this guy's unstoppable. There's, no, there's nothing that anyone can do with this guy. And he's off knee injury and he's out of shape. And everyone's talking bad about all these things. But like the production is like unbelievable. Like no one's ever done that. They just come out dominating every single game with a, with a minute. Usually too, like when a guy's administration takes some time to get into a rhythm. So like, by the time he gets in a rhythm, they got to take him out. This guy, he's just would come in and just destroy from the, the beginning. And that is what really caused me. Like, I'm obsessed with this guy. This guy's the, the best thing ever. Like, and the, and the card hobby didn't like him. 
So when I was like looking at all this, these things, I'm like, I can't believe they don't like him right now that much. Like they, they like his prism base was 50 bucks for a long time. I actually was buying, you know what? Now I'm, I'm thinking back. It's been a little bit. I was buying his prison base for 50 bucks um, when he wasn't playing. So I had already had a little bit of money invested, which probably made me go like double more in. Cause I, even though I was losing the bet, I'm like, Oh, I have these cards. Uh, that's good. I got those. But um, yeah, that, that's what kind of drew me into him. Obviously he's hasn't gotten, well, recently they've like stopped playing him last few games, but that's cause they're just tanking. They're trying to lose because there's only a month left. And like Lonzo Ball, Ingram, and Zion all magically for the last three games haven't played out of nowhere. So I don't think he's hurt. There's, they're saying he is because they don't want, they can't put, oh, trying to tank. But um, he hasn't really, you know, he stayed healthy. He didn't get hurt this year. So it's made me more bullish on him. And the production has, has remained the same. And yeah, I'm just, I did see conditioning issues a little bit last year, like where at the end of the game he would struggle, but I'm not seeing it. Um, as much uh, this year, he's actually had a lot of key free throws and made some big plays on the stretch, which a lot of times the big guys for the last six minutes of the game, the big guys are out. Even the best big guys, they don't score at the end of the games. They do most of their damage first, second, third quarter. Usually first and third quarter, specifically at the beginning of the quarter, because uh, like teams always have this thing of we're going to go into our big guy to start uh, the half. Yeah, but he's, he's played well down the stretch. And yeah, I'm all in. I just think that now it's the only thing that could derail him is injury. I don't think anything else can, can mess him up because last year he was out of shape and he still was like an all-star elite player. So I think that he's going to be like big time if uh, he just stays healthy. Totally. The hobby's so funny because when I jumped back in, he was on the bench. He hadn't played yet. So much hype around him. And then once there was the minutes restriction and people saw maybe he was a little out of shape, you know, going to the bubble. Mm-hmm people started to be scared and um, move away from him. And then if you look at his production this year, I mean, he's, he's unguardable down low. Like he's unguardable. Like, and so he's dominated. He's been an all-star and it still seems like the, the hobby is still not quite sure about him. I'm a league pass guy. I watch everything. And I, every time he's on, I watch him and he just, he dominates and I'm sitting there. And it's one of those things where it's like, for me, it's like the hobby was so onto him and now they're not so much onto them, him that I'm like, maybe I should jump on because I've watched the games and just watch his presence. And he's still a kid too. That's the other thing no one wants to talk about. Yeah. I think watching him is huge. I think a lot of people, I actually talked to a few people like, I haven't really watched him. They're like, oh, man, you really don't understand. Like watch you have him. to watch him. You really, really, really have to watch this guy. Like. And it's not, and he hasn't like he he hasn't had a bad game almost the whole season. It's like I think now he has some like sort of record about like twenty point games in a row. So like any game you watch, you will see what we see. You just have to turn on and watch and see uh, how he uh, like how he goes about doing it. Because yeah, there's there's a there's a lot to like, and there's like certain things that you do have to watch, like his ball handling. People that don't watch, they have no idea that this three hundred pound guy can handle the ball. They also don't know that like a fifth of the possessions, he brings it up the court, like as the point guard, like that's not, no, that's never happened. There's never been a guy that big that brings up the court and not like all oh, by accident because of point guard. So he tings it up. No, like they, they want him to do that. Like they start the half sometimes specifically with him bringing it up. Um, so yeah, it's big. It's big to watch. I've talked to a couple of the top collectors and I've kind of asked them like, why no Zion? And they're like, they're, they're, it's always like, 
we would rather see him win the MVP and become who uh-huh. he is going to become, and then we'll buy rather than um, play the speculation game now. Which you know is fair. It's whatever. I just feel like today's market is so tough because like the exponential gains he will make once that happens, it's like man, you're you're not. I mean, I, I guess there's always room to keep going up if he keeps performing, but like you're gonna pay a lot, lot more if you wait for him to win MVP because, you know, he already has a super solid, like, big fan base, you know? Like, you can't compare, like, Giannis's fan base before he won an MVP versus, like, a guy like Zion. Like, mm-hmm. his stuff will really go nuclear with, a, with an MVP or something like that. So, um, but I get it. Like, they, they still would rather wait for him to have, like, some accolades and, and actually do something. Totally. Well, I think it starts with an all-star appearance in a second full year, which is po- a positive. Talk to me about your everyone starts with like the base stuff. Like it's like, all right, let's get our base science. And then you're like, all right, I'm a fan of this guy. I'm watching this guy. He's kicked my ass making bets and I'm not betting against them. So through your progression, like what was your, what moves did you start to make on the sports card front? Like outside of the prison base, like what were those next level moves and kind of where are you at right now? So with Zion, the first things I was buying were prison base, obviously. Then I progressed towards silvers i was buying every single silver that would pop up i would just pay whatever it took to get it like for three months straight there three four months i bought all of them um i would pay some 500 some 700 some that were really nicely centered which was rare to find those i would even pay a thousand for those which was like an absurd amount but even at the time i thought this is not absurd though because if it's selling for three thousand i'm getting 300 percent return on my money and there's a 40% chance it's going to get it. The math just adds up. That's a no brainer actually, but people think I'm crazy being a thousand, but I was seeing it very <laughs> differently than them. Um, I still think that's the case for a lot of cards. Well, people like, Oh no, I don't, I don't want to, I'd rather get it for 800,000, but you're trying to grade it upside so much higher than, than that difference that you're passing on the card for. But yeah, I was able to get a lot of them because I was willing to pay whatever the seller was, 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 uh, was asking that day. Um, so I, I bought that then. I started buying, what did I do? I started to buy a little bit of like, I, I like this color match stuff. So I got a blue prism. I was trying to buy any color I could find. I got a purple PSA 10. That was like my first already graded Zion. I, I was always buying ungraded because I'm like, I got to be careful. The bubble, like this could pop in my face. Let me always buy ungraded and grade. Because in my mind, I'm like, if I get that 4X return on the grade, even if it drops in half, I'm still up double from my raw grade. Uh, my raw price. Um, but I did buy the purple because it was a pop one. So I'm like, this is not something that's going to come up to me when I'm looking at him. Like that's his true color match, not the blue. And it just looks a lot nicer. I have, I have the blue uh, true gem, but purple's way, way nicer. So I, I bit the bullet on that and I paid pretty strong for it, but like now it's looking good. Um, what other cards I started by, I bought like net marvels, a lot of ungraded ones. Then, um, I tried, then I started to get a little smarter Then even that I was started. I got like his court Kings, the sink. Um, I, I like that card a lot long-term. I think like those really kind of obscure cards that nobody knows about, but are super low pop. Mm-hmm. Eventually a couple of collectors are going to badly want that thing. And you're going to have the only one because that's, they're just very, very low pop. And you know, the big influencers and stuff, they don't, they don't talk about some of these rare court Kings. Cause it's just, you never see it. You never see it get pulled. No one ever talks about it because it doesn't have a graph. There is no graph. It sells one time and that's it. Yeah. Or like two times and that's it. So 
there's no um, kind of uh, awareness of it. But, you know, eventually I think if like the, like we talk about these top collectors, once you start chasing Zion, if they, if he start, like uh, gets that MVP or championship or, or deep playoff run, you know, those guys, they dig deep. They're, they will find something if it's really cool. Even if it hasn't sold, they'll find it and be like, oh, I, I need to add that. Um, so I bought that. Um, I got his, I really like his, uh, called Mount Zion. So Zion is the only player last year who had his own specific set within a card. It's, it's in Core Kings. It's called Mount Zion. They made it just for him. And it's kind of like a drawing. Um, it's not like a, a picture, which I really like cards like that, where it's like drawn because it makes it seem more like art to me. Um, so I got that uh, in the highest uh, grade, uh, which was like a two gen plus, I think, nine five. And then I got the the grill that uh, I spoke about. That's my my largest purchase purchase ever, which was I got his flawless um, patch auto gold uh, true vertical RPA one out of ten. Um, and I got that. There's a whole story behind how I got that, which I've documented on my Instagram and my thought process on that was uh, his NTRPAs ungraded were doing like a hundred thousand. And I know NT is like it and it's like the big thing. And it's kind of like the exquisite RPA at a 99 uh, of this time, but I'm like, there's, and like ex- flawless is game use. Like, I think that the, the differential between the two will only get less. I don't think there will get a wider gap. Maybe I'm wrong because a lot of people do think that NT is king, but, I think that the game use aspect of flawless is is really really big, and um, like it matters to me. Like I don't want to spend six figures for a card and it was cut from something that he maybe didn't even put on because they make it very very vague, player worn. That could be worn by Jackson Hayes and it's on Zion's card, and I really don't. I know it's not a big thing, but for me, it's like that's not bad. Like I don't want that. I want game use jersey. Like that's kind of cool to me because he only wore so many his rookie year, so. And you know it's from his rookie year because it's like down the line it could be from his rookie year. There's no way of knowing since this came out, you know. So I I, I got uh, that card, and there's still a couple of Zion cards that that I'm left chasing, but there's um there's there's not too many because the one on ones and stuff that's just not for me. Um, unless like I would probably have to get that from the get go, like the, those smart guys who got them already. Because I don't I'm not willing to pay the the crazy markup for like a, a maybe a gold prism. That would be something that maybe I would bite the bullet on. But yeah, other than that, there's not too much time anymore that I'm going after. So you, there's a lot there that you, that I, I, I want to just comment on. I think one, go check out summertime cards, IG, the videos of the whole, you, uh, Anthony documents the whole process about acquiring this grail, which I think I appreciated as a viewer because I had never really seen anyone do that. So it was fun the way you dropped those following along with that super cool idea. I'm I'm just speaking for the hobby. Like, thank you for putting that out because I think more people should do that. Um, And just what you went through to get that card. Super interesting. I think there's obviously the, the, uh, the debate between flawless and NT there's different sides and different um, crowds. I, I, I love the debate and I, I like what you said in your mentality that it's only going to shrink. So I think that to me, like NT is going to be hard to su- surpass just because of the equity that that product has put out. But I, I agree that, that there's not going to be a huge gap between those two brands. It's only going to shrink. So, and then final comment for me is just like your evolution in 
purchasing Zion cards and the way you've gone about it. I think a lot of people out there listening have maybe not with Zion, but have gone through and since COVID hit a similar kind of evolution on, all right, let me start with base. Oh, I like this. And let me get some color. And then now let me get some rare stuff. And then that, that makes the whole chase and the process. And now I'm, I'm assuming that you, you, if Zion's on TV, you're doing nothing but watching Zion, right? Like yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. way you're missing a game because you're a yeah, fan. I watch everything. And if I do miss, like there's these uh, highlight clips that show like every single play that he's involved in, whether it be rebound, steal, block, shot, even miss shot. So I'll like, uh, I'll watch that. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm big into watching his game. I mean, I've always liked watching him, whether I had the cards or not. So yeah, definitely, definitely watching more so than ever now. So how does your thought process, not just with Zion, but just specifically with like grabbing cards that you're trying to um, maybe get value from. How does it, your, your world change with the PSA news and the um, them shutting off intake? Like I know that impacts a lot of different people, a lot of different ways. Like how are you thinking about that news and in, in what you're doing? The only main difference I would say, I guess there's two things. The only main thing for, uh, difference though would be I'm not buying any more 10, 20 hour base of players. Like sometimes I would say like Prism just came out. Like I would kind of like find some players who have like five, $10 base. And then I would just buy like a hundred cards of them, you know, which is like 500 bucks. And then I would grade them, um, get, you know, tons of tens and then be sitting on a nice stack of tens of their, their PSA tens. And my cost basis would be $30. So even if the player is the dud of duds, a PSA 10 of the of dud player is still $30. Um, but now I, I won't do that. So if I find the player, I'll just try to buy, you know, strictly color, um, maybe not even silvers anymore, probably just r- more rare color, which is good too, though, because that, that's kind of like what I like anyways. Cause I, I, even though, even if I'm going to buy something to sell it, I still like to like it yep. and enjoy it while I'm holding it. You know, like, that's something big. I, I hear a lot of people say that. Um, and that's just kind of the way I feel too now. Like, I definitely want to like what I'm buying. Um, even if, you know, it's a player that I, I don't see myself holding super long-term. Um, so there's that. And then like, there are certain cards that maybe like, I kind of always send everything to PSA. Um, I'm currently still buying a ton of raw and I'm just going to wait till July. I'm kind of like, feel like I'm going to be doing this for quite a while. So like, I don't care July to me in the grand scheme of things, even if I have to wait till July to send to PSA, I'm pretty patient. I mean, PSA has made me become very patient about <laughs> waiting for stuff. So I'm pretty patient, like just to wait till July and send it and hope to God that everything's running smoother and a 20 day actually, you know, takes a couple months and not forever. Um, so, but like certain cards that I feel like have like a bad corner or something, I'll probably send to BGS because I probably should have been doing that from the get go. Cause I'm going to get a PSA nine for sure. And there's a very good chance I would get a nine five with a nine corner. Um, so I'll probably start setting some cards to, uh, to BGS that have like a, maybe like a little white show in the corner. Cause PSA is not going to give a, a card with any white showing on the, on the corner a 10 from my experience. I would rather just send it to BGS and I'm not completely against um, BGS labs. Like I, I like them, you know, it's just the value is so much higher that it's like, makes it very tough for me to send um, stuff to uh, BGS or um, SGC. Uh, if there is some kind of grading company that comes out with something to grade the, the base cards cheaper, I'll probably look into that. I don't know if I'm actually going to do that, but you're asking like what I might change. Then maybe I will still buy those base cards, a lot of them, and send to whatever said grading company that, that starts um, offering that. 
Um, from a buying green standpoint, I think that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. Not too much changes. Just more, just more expensive cards. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think my curiosity goes around the, um, what, what the move Beckett is going to make because they really haven't said anything since this. I know SGC did their thing, which I don't even really want to get into, but I'm curious on what Beckett's going to do. I think just the, the, the gap seems to be widening between the 10, PSA 10 and the 9.5. Um, I've got plenty of 9.5s, a lot of football cards and 9.5s, contender stuff, rookie tickets. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like what you said about the um, the NT and the flawless gap. I, I just think like the 9.5 and the 10 gap between PSA and um, BGS, like it's got to shrink. It, I just think it's overwhelmingly great at this point. So that's what I'm curious. But I think patience is the key here and people who don't operate with patience are probably going to maybe lose some money, but just being patient with seeing how it all unfolds um, is a good way yeah. to think about it. Um, with the BPS nine five, I feel like when it has a nine subgrade, this is just me. I don't want the card. It has nine <laughs> sub, unless it's something that it's still the highest graded, but if it has a nine subgrade, I don't want it. Cause I do think that a nine five with a nine is very, very close to a PSA nine. Yeah. Now, with that being said, I also think that a true gem plus more often than not will be in better condition than a PSA 10. If I had to put money, if you just told me pick two random cards from pile, true gem plus PSA 10 and whichever one's, but I, I would go true gem plus. I think it's kind of close, but I do think I would go there and I do. So my point being, I think a true gem plus should definitely be the same price as a PSA 10. If we're just going strictly off the, the, um, the card, you know, condition relative to the price. I know PSA has the heritage and the market loves it. And there's a million other reasons, whatever. But if just from the card's value in terms of the grading, I think a true gem plus should be the same as a, a PSA 10. And I do really, I, while I hate the nine, uh, a nine subgrade, nine five, I do really, really like the true gem plus uh, BGS nine five. I agree with you there. I'm too scared to crack them out of the case and send them to PSA because I figured the one time I do this, I'm going to get back a nine. Um, but but then you look that. you look at gold and, and all the sales, and it, it seems like BGS is killing it with some of these sales that are record highs. And I think maybe, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. But like for me, I'm like, why does it, Becca needs to capitalize off of this momentum of some of these sales because their cards are selling for all time highs. And it doesn't really seem like anyone's talking about the fact that, Oh, well, these are in BGS slabs. If they can just keep the prices more or less the same, even if they're going to increase it down the line, increase it once PSA starts subbing again, because you can swallow market share now for a little while, keep prices same and you get stuff back quick to people. Cause right now is your first opportunity to swap to get PSA customers like your first real opportunity to mm-hmm. take them away. So if I start subbing and things come back good and it comes back quick, like I probably will continue sending them stuff even when PSA opens, you know, whereas before I wasn't doing that. So they have a really, really, really big up op- and as you see upping their price, huge mistake, but that gives the BGS even more opportunity to take away customers from even them, the people they had and get, because now people say, I'm not doing that with them. They get even at the SEC customers, they have a chance to get both of their customer bases. Um, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how it all works out, but it's hard though because they, they can't even meet the demand now. And to get the uh, appropriate graders, 
stuff. And theirs is like really tough because like they got subgrades for most cards. So mm. it's you gotta like you're not just giving the card a ten or a nine or an eight. You gotta like give it a grade and you gotta grade all these. It's it's tough. Like that that's you know I feel like it would be I feel like I can do pretty good grading PSA like PSA way. Like, oh, I can just tell you if it card to eight nine or ten. When you tell me, I, I feel like I got to grade it five times. <laughs> the BGS, uh, that's way harder, and they probably require a lot more expertise with that, with, uh, with that being the case. I love the thoughts here. Okay, before we cl- close out talking about the show, I want to just run some NBA topics in the hobby and just get your like, reaction on, on some of these things. I think the first thing that I want to talk about or just get your reaction on, like, is it sustainable or is this just a bubble would be kind of, what we're seeing with the Kevin Durant interest, the Nets interest, the Kyrie stuff, the hard people are finally paying attention to Harden. Is it just people buying into these cards right now because they think the Nets are going to win the championship? Or do you see anything more than that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's strictly that. Because what's changed? Kevin Durant is the same player he was. Kyrie, none, none of these guys are like all of a sudden going to do something they've never done before. They are like Durant hit eight game winners or you know, Harden's scored 60 points. Like they're not doing anything other than what they've been doing forever. They're the same player we thought they were. And, you know, they're just all together on the same team now. Uh, you know, with Harden, Harden's interesting though, because he might win a title. And that's mm-hmm. something that he hasn't done. So that is something that, you know, someone who's like, oh, I've always like liked him, but I only want to collect players who have titles. And because he is an all-time talent in terms of scoring, you know, maybe the best um, scorer of all time. Uh, arguably, and now he has titles. That that's a kind of cool. You know, it's cool to own his cards. You can. It, there's an argument to me. He's the best scorer ever. Um, so I I kind of understand that uh, him probably a little bit more than like a Kyrie who already has titles. Um, what no, he's got one title. But yeah, I, I still think most of it is. While there are some people who are thinking a little bit like that, it's mostly just the speculation. They're buying because they think that that he's going to win the same way they kind of bought up Kawhi going into the, the um, playoffs last year. You know, they bought up all his stuff. Paul George saw big increases too. It was all just um, speculation and not people who really wanted to own those cards or collect those cards. I, I don't even think there's that many players right now that any other increases is related almost anything other than, than speculation. I get is by I think Zion is one of the guys that he is gaining real fans that he didn't have before, and the people are buying to collect. Um, trying to think of other players who maybe are like starting to get collected more. Yeah, that's probably something to think about. So it's like, who are players? Who are people starting to really collect that they're totally. buying to collect? You know, I think soccer. I think Erling Holland. I think Killing. Yeah. Bob. I think there's people jumping into that that they are speculating that those players going to be great, but they also genuinely want to own the top young players' cards for long term. Um, but in basketball, it seems more like a speculation game. Totally. So I'm, I'm going to throw this next one out there and this is coming off the heels of a record record breaking gold sale that he just had. But this time last year, he was coming into the second MVP campaign, then the flame out of the playoffs. But it, it seems to me that the Giannis market has lost a ton of momentum from where it was last year. And I think maybe that playoff, the playoff exit really hurt him. I'm a Giannis fan. I love the fact that he re-signed with the Bucks. I'm a firm believer. I like Giannis long-term. Um, 
but what what are, what are your thoughts on Giannis, his cards in market? Like, do you think there's opportunities? Do you do you think he's overpriced and will never kind of win that championship? What are your thoughts on him? Um, I don't track his market really, really closely, but that's like one guy. Like last year, I was buying like a little bit of everyone, and I didn't buy any Giannis. Um, I know he's a great player, but just kind of the way he plays is not like a, a style that I particularly um, like. His personality, like he's just, I don't know. I'm not a, no, I'm just not a big Giannis guy. I'm just not not a fan of him as a person, kind of like on the court, off the court. Uh, I do like that he stayed in Milwaukee. I think that's really cool. But it's like he stayed in Milwaukee, but the team wasn't that great in the in the first place. Like when Durant left OKC, I thought OKC was going to win titles if he stayed there. So I really wanted him to stay. Him staying, I don't like it as much, but I think it's very noble. It's like you like it, but at the same time, it's like, but if he was competing for a title and he's on the NBA finals, you know, it's kind of like Lillard. His prices will be way higher if he was on the Lakers this year. Right. Um, so like it's even people who want to collect, you still want your collection to be worth the most possible. So that if you do have to sell a couple of things to fund something else in your life, you get a lot more money, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, with Giannis, it's just like, who's ever going to go to Milwaukee? I guess maybe he can force a trade like Anthony Davis did, but I'm just not big. I don't think Milwaukee, I don't see a title in the near future. I don't think anybody cares if he wins an MVP anymore. I don't think it does anything for his prices because he's already had a bunch of seasons, 30 points, 15 rebounds. He's not going to do anything statistically in the near future that's going to bump him up. Like his shooting still hasn't necessarily got a, a whole lot better. In the playoffs, with even more pressure, the shooting is going to be even worse, probably. I imagine. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of like my uh, my thought process on um, on Giannis. With, with Luca, I I don't think Luca price should be taking too much. I do think they got maybe a little bit too high in relation to other players, which everything I guess in terms of value and and prices is always in relation to other players. But yeah, I did seem like it got a little bit um, too crazy. Um, and it still might be a little bit too uh, too crazy because they also don't look like they're going to win a title. But at least with him, it's like I think an MVP will do something for Spicy. So that is a, that would be a big accolade for for him to get, especially with the uh, yeah. It's like it, it would be hard for him to to win uh, an MVP, and it wouldn't be fully expected. You know, like after like that first one, Giannis Scott was cool and it sends his prices up, but the second one got, started to get almost like expected. Um, with Luca, it's not expected any year that he's like a lock to win uh, uh, MVP. I did think he was going to win it this year, but you know it hasn't really uh, played out that way uh, entirely. But um, I, I do like him because I just feel that if you just look at like the history of the NBA and players his age and what he's doing production wise and just the eye test, like there's very few guys that are that good at basketball the first couple of years in the NBA because he can do like everything really good. And, you know, he's very marketable. Um, the way his playing style is also just like it, it, it grabs people's attention. You know, he does like these crazy step backs. You know, he's just these, you know, you know, big time passes, the way he gets by people, crossovers. Like he does have a very, um, a very uh, you know, just a style of play that people like watching. So and he will always have like hardcore, hardcore fans and they're not they're not going away. Um, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna stick with him. So I do like his uh, cards much more than like a, a Giannis right now. 
that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and I think with Luca, I mean, moments matter in the hobby. He's obviously got his fan base, and also long term, I mean, he's a he's like a free agent magnet. Like, who doesn't want to come at yeah, some exactly. point and go to Dallas and play? All right, man, let's close out with this. Why don't you? I I, I saw I've seen it on Instagram. I've seen a bunch of people talking about going. Maybe talk about the courtside card show. I think it's there's been a, a an iteration or two of this, but maybe talk a little bit about the show, kind of your involvement and what people can expect. The the basic premise here is I want people who are listening to Stacking Slabs who are maybe thinking about coming to Miami to the show to hear a little bit from you and give them a reason to head down south. Okay, yeah. So this is our fourth show that we've done. It was just an idea. It wasn't even my idea. I was just talking to my friend. I just got back from Dallas and my friend was saying like, oh, how the Dallas show go? It was, I was told him it was amazing. Met a lot of people, got a lot of cards. And by the time I was able to buy a lot of ungraded cards and I was telling him like, man, it makes such a difference when I go to these shows because I can see the card. So I really, really know if it's going to get a higher grade or not. And he's like, well, why don't we just do a show here then? If it's so good, why don't we just do it here? I go, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, just come over to this place I'm at and uh, we'll talk about this tomorrow. So I went over there and he had a, a little venue. It's actually a basketball court. That's why we came up with the name Courtside Card Show because the, the, the first couple of shows were on a basketball court. And uh, he's, I, I went over there. He's like, why don't we do it here? I go, well, this is perfect for like a small show. Why not? And we just, we just went with it. And we only had like three weeks to promote it. I was wondering, like, I wonder if I can even get enough dealers in here. There, there hadn't been a show in Miami legitimately in like 20 years in Miami, Miami. There's some shows, 45 minutes, but there was zero shows. I was like, well, at the very least, I want to create a show that I can at least go to and have a chance to meet with some collectors in the area and see some cards without having to fly to Dallas Wings places. So we did it. It was very successful. We had 40 dealers come. A couple hundred people came, which was like a very good turnout. The second show actually plateaued in, in terms of the amount of attendees. So we just thought maybe it's just the time of year. Sometimes they say time of year kind of really affects the, the attendance. And the third show, Slab Stocks helped us uh, promote the show uh, and our attendance tripled. So I, I do have to give a shout out to Slab Stocks. I think that their promoting it had a big effect. Um, they have one of the largest sports card uh, Instagram accounts and they promoted it pretty hard. And yeah, we quadrupled in attendance triple or quadruple in attendance. And I said, wow, we, we had too many people in this small venue. We need to get a bigger venue. So then I moved to a bigger venue. This is where the Courtside Card Show is now. It's Hyatt Regency. It's in downtown Miami. So it's actually in Miami. This is not like a, the show is, is, is in, in Miami. Um, and uh, it's going to be 125 tables. And I'm, I'm getting like the top, top dealers from all around the country to come to the show. A lot of them actually heard about the smaller show from dealers who came, you know, who did really, really well in terms of selling in just five hours in one show. So the big dealers like, oh yeah, we're totally, they actually, a couple of them wanted to come to my small show. And I'm like, don't come. It's too small. I don't want you to like, and then you have a bad thing. And, it, and they actually got pissed at me that they didn't come because they heard how some <laughs> dealers, even though the small show, a lot of buyers came and spent a lot of money. So I got um, MC Sports Cards. And he's helping me promote. Shout out, uh, Mike. Um, we got Shop Millie Pops coming, um, LJK Cards, Prism God, uh, Rodman PC. I got the whole California crew, Sasha, uh, Nady, who's all, all-star sports cards, 23, Coleman Cards, uh, 
from New York. I got Kong's carts coming, uh, New York slabs. I have two of my really good friends in the hobby, Putnam Cards, amazing Instagram account, big time collector, young guy, and he's he's absolutely killing it. Um, Good friend of mine, as well as that's the old price. Also coming, huge, huge, huge uh, Mahomes collector, Dappy sports cards. Um, So yeah, I've tried to get like the, the dealers who, when I look at the collection, I, go, I want everything in this booth. I try to get all those uh, guys to come. There's a lot of people I'm still uh, working on trying to get. Um, we also got some like media brands, like uh, Collectible App is coming. Um, Heritage Auctions is going to be there. Uh, Starstock as well. Um, MBA Grading. Uh, I think that they're going to come um, and do some grading uh, at the show with, the, with their gold sticker as well. Starstock. A lot of people buy off of them. They have a couple of tables at my show. Um, I feel like everyone feels like I'm name dropping, but like that's what makes a show at the end of the day. It's not me. It's all the people at the show. So when you come, you're going to see some really amazing collections because these guys, that's what, you know, they're known for. Um, having, you know, the top cards that everyone's chasing after. They, you know, put a lot of years, a lot of hours into getting these cards and, and making them available. And they're, you know, gracious enough to come to my show and travel um, a lot of them to, uh, to come and uh, display. Um, and that's what really the show is going to be about. Uh, this first one is really going to be about like these, these top dealers with, with the best sports cards, you know, as the show um, hopefully continues to grow, we'll try to have, you know, maybe people come and sign and, you know, keep layering and adding a little bit more so that there's something new for the show because I don't want to get stagnant either where people already know what to expect. I want there to at least be um, some, but for the first show, it's really going to be about showcasing these um, dealers and their amazing cards. And I'm going to try to do some unique things on Instagram where maybe I post their entire, you know, show display so that people kind of like a digital card show as lo- as well as the physical, where people will be able to see these guys' cards and DM them and say, Hey, if that hasn't sold the card show, I want to get it. So it's good for the people who aren't at the show. It's great for the dealer who now has a huge, uh, a big uh, set of eyeballs on his cards more so than just what's at the show. Um, so yeah, trying to do um, some different things like that that I haven't seen done at uh, other card shows. We're also known for the music. We have music playing in the background of our show. Uh, we got the memo. Some people thought it was a little bit too loud, so we're going to have it a little bit lower this time. But we like to have the music just to kind of, um, you know, sometimes I've gone to some card shows. It's got a little dry. Like it's, uh, you know, sometimes a little cold in the room. Um, without music and I, I just like the music I know some people don't but um, I do like to have a little bit of music just to add to the um, ambiance and the and the vibe in the room um, and then we're also going to have so I've been asked this a lot it's not just basketball cards there's I me mean, football basketball baseball soccer Pokemon like anybody who has any sort of card is welcome to 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 be a vendor uh, at my card show I don't discriminate against whatever especially now that like the most oddest things are are going up in value like crazy anything any card i'm okay with them coming and yeah we're gonna have all different kinds even wax as well i'm also gonna have some of the the breakers there um Bastion breaks is gonna be there and a couple of uh, little pull bands gonna be there as well breaking so that was like something that i heard too is like oh you should have like you know the national has a, a breaking pavilion so i'm gonna have my own little breaking pavilion set up or have the breakers kind of together um doing some breaking as well at the show. Well, all I can say is that is a hell of a lineup. I wish I could be there. I have a conflict on that day, but I will tell you this. 
seen a show on Instagram be promoted and the way it's being promoted, it caught my attention. Then I saw the story post of everyone who's going to be there. Um, and I got like super jealous because I just got the vaccine and I'm like ready to go to sh- the show. And that just looks like an amazing opportunity to meet some great people in the hobby. I will be following it from my phone. May 1st, May 2nd, definitely hit up Anthony if you have any questions. Cause I don't know, I'm fiending for a show and it looks like you have something special uh, going on in Miami. So I wish you the best of luck. And I know coordinating is a pain in the ass, but it looks like you're doing a hell of a job and you got some great people alongside you. So uh, congratulations on the promotion and I'm excited to hear some feedback and I know it'll all be really good. Yep. Well, thanks. Trying. Uh, yeah, definitely is a lot, a lot of work, but it's worth it, you know, to put on a show in my city that didn't have one at all. And now it's like a big one. It is. Um, yeah. If it just feels good to, to, to throw a big show and hopefully you know, it turns out to, to be good and you're missing this one, but this wasn't a one-time thing that I'm doing. I, I plan to continue to do it. I think that the winter show is going to be huge too. Cause Miami in the winter is like the best when everyone's freezing, traveling snow, they're definitely going to want any excuse to get out to uh, Miami where it's usually 80 degrees in November. So yeah, you'll have uh, more opportunities to come and, and join the show and hopefully it gets, uh, you know, bigger and bigger and, and better and just more, uh, more reason to, to, to make the, to travel. Awesome. We'll follow my man at summertime cards at courtside card show. Anthony, this was a blast chopping it up. Uh, I, I felt like I could go several more hours. We're going to have to get you back on to talk more sports cards, maybe a recap of the Miami show. Thanks so much for your time, man. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. I would, I'd love to come back on and thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I had a blast chopping it up with Anthony. Once we got done recording, we still talked cards. Man, I could talk to him forever. Really smart guy. Go follow him at Summertime Cards. Go check out the Courtside Card Show, May 1st, May 2nd in Miami. Let's go. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy sports cards. It's a hobby. Tons of passion. It's an escape. Let's go. Let's go.